My name's Chris Lane. And I'm Claire Cook. And this is the Not Forgotten Podcast. In this session, we're going to be hearing from Mark Powley. And Mark's the Archbishop's Mission Enabler for the North. And uh, at the conference, Mark gave us a really interesting and challenging um, session around how do we hold the, the ministry in a states, t- um, which is a very long-term incarnational thing, together with the kind of energy and the missional drive of uh, the church planting. And so they, he used this analogy of two sticks being held together from Ezekiel. Uh, so uh, have a listen, and we'll have a little chat about it later. Great, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, so, um, yeah, just uh, just before we go into this next session, and as a way of introducing prayer, I wonder if uh, you could take a moment to think what it is you would love from the next twenty-four hours. What what you would love for God to give you? What you what you're looking for? What you're hoping for? So maybe just have a think about that for a moment. Let's just hold the people right next to us in prayer as we start. Mighty God, uh, we bless you that you are here, that you're with us. We see you shining in the faces of those around us. And we ask you now to bless us, that you will give us what we are hoping for. You are our hope. And that you'll give us what we're not expecting yet, because you are the God of surprises. And that you will bless those who are with us, and that we would be a blessing to each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, it's uh, such an amazing privilege uh, to be uh, with you here. Uh, my name is Mark Powley, as, as, uh, as Chris has said. Uh, I'm from Manchester originally, and I've just finished as principal of St. Hild College. We've got some people from St. Hild College here. It's nice to see you. Um, and I'm a massive fan of Emmanuel College, always, always have been. I have immense respect uh, for what the college is doing, for the leadership, uh, and uh, so I just think it's an amazing privilege. I would bring uh, greetings from the Archbishop of York, uh, who's my new boss, uh, but uh, Shemuel has beaten me to it uh, because uh, Shemuel Matthews is the best connected person in the Church of England, and he said, oh, by the way, I met the Archbishop. When was it? When, where's, where's, he, where's he now? Is he... Says, you met him, what, this morning? Yeah, I met him this morning. He sends his greetings. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I had one job. <laughs> and you've done it. Um, so uh, my job is to help bring a step change in church planting and revitalization across the north. And so I'm delighted to be here, really excited about the people in this room, uh, some of whom I know, uh, many of whom I'm looking forward to getting to know. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be here because I don't think this is an obvious conference. Okay, that's what I'm going to go with here. Let's see if it works. I don't think it's an obvious conference, but I think it's an important one. I just want to just develop that a little bit more. So, estate planting. Okay, this is an estate planting. I'm in the right room. It's an estate <laughs> planting conference. And I want to ask, before we all dive in and the rest of the program uh, uh, unfolds, do they really fit together? Estate planting. 
Uh, now, that might sound like a bit of a stupid question, <laughs> given that that's clearly what the conference is about. Um, it, and uh, it may seem a little rude to the organizers. Um, but just as we're near the beginning, before we plunge in, what are we doing by putting these two things together, estates, uh, plantings? You know, you could have like a buildings development conference. You'd be like, yeah, buildings development, yeah, I get that, I get that. You could have a liturgical revision conference. Um, <laughs> and those things, exactly, exactly. We're not going to go there, but you know, you could, I, I, I get the idea, I get the idea. Um, it's like, it's a thing. Estates, planting. Um, is, there, is there just a little bit of a culture clash between some of, the, uh, some of what we would associate with estates ministry and some of what we would associate with church planting? Now, for me, if you asked me to do a word cloud about estates ministry, I would be doing things like kind of um, gritty, long-term, rooted, contextual, and so forth. And if you asked me to do a word cloud about church planting, I'd be saying, or oh, dynamic, aspirational, uh, business-like sometimes. Um, now, maybe for you, it's a total match. You're like, I don't get it. Estates, planting, I'm there. I get it. I will come back to that in a minute. But bear with the fact that for some of us, and for some people outside today's conference, estates and planting may not kind of just naturally fit together. It's like Archbishop vaping, or like, um, <laughs> I, it's like Metallica Mother's Union. I'm just thinking like, do they, do they fit? Romance McDonald's. So, um, I say that because my first date was in McDonald's, but anyway. Um, let me just unpack that from a personal perspective, okay? So if I think about the state's uh, ministry, um, I think about uh, Hattersley. Now, I think we've got some people who've got some connections with Hattersley. Yeah. Yeah. So I had finished university, and I was looking to do a year of ministry, and I went to uh, the estate of Hattersley, and, uh, I, and I remember it well, being in this, this little church, and there was an afternoon baptism of a family who looked like the last family that I would expect in a church. And I think they looked like they felt like they were the last family that should be in that church. Having a, 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 an infant baptism, and uh, I, the vicar was doing it, and I chatted to the vicar afterwards, and he's there in his robes, smoking a cigarette. And I was thinking, I don't understand this world. I don't, I don't get it. Um, am I going to cope here? Am I going to thrive here? Um, raised a whole load of questions for me. When I think church planting, I think of um, second round interviews in a HTB church plant in London with some Oxbridge graduates, bankers, and someone who's a permanent secretary to a future prime minister being asked about aspiration, future planning. So, do you see what I'm coming from? This is my story. It doesn't have to be your story. Maybe in your world, the two fit together. But in my world... My word cloud for the one is slightly different to my word cloud for the other. Um, so forgive me if they don't instinctively fully overlap. I'm not saying they don't belong together. I'm not saying people in this room aren't already making it happen. Uh, what I'm saying is it's not always the most obvious uh, match. And for the Church of England especially, is not, is not everybody here is Church of England. Is that right? Have we got any? Ray! <laughs> Welcome, welcome. So for, um, 
for those in an institutional church like or similar to the Church of England, um, is this something that we actually have successful models for? Is this something that we know what to do and how to replicate and how to support it? When an estate plant happens in the Church of England, does it happen because of the official structures? Or does it happen despite the official structures? Or because somebody doesn't know what the official structures are? <laughs> so I just want to, um, you know, if you... If you took, a, took people in the Church of England who have experience of estate ministry, like long-standing experience of estate ministry, and I'm not one of them, and you also took the people who, were, who have experience and expertise in church planting, what would the overlap be? And the reason I'm saying that is, let's just maybe acknowledge at the top of this conference that this is a, this is a bold juxtaposition, juxtaposition to put these two things together, estates, and planting, that takes some boldness, as Michael's already said, and in a way, I'm just very much picking up on what he's, he's uh, been saying. Um, do we realize, is it worth acknowledging that we do not know quite what we are doing yet in certain ways here? Should we just say, how, as you were saying, Michael, how bold we might need to be here in order to bring these two things together? And I just think that's maybe important um, as I said, it's not that they, I, I don't think, um, I'm not saying they don't belong together. What I'm saying is, what does it take to hold them together? And if you are somebody, and there will be people in this room who are like, no, this is instinctive for me. I know some of the people here who would say, look, I, th of course they go together. Then I just want to say how important your voice is. If you can see how these two flow together, you can say, yeah, I can see fruitful estate planting ministry. I'm ready. I've seen it. or I feel fully prepared for it. Then how important your voice is. Because not everybody sees it. And, uh, and we're working in an institution that I don't think instinctively gets it. So, so when there are, there are those who sometimes, like me, don't always see and make those instinctive links, if you do, you are a gift to the church, and we need that gift. So I just think a conference like this is absolutely crucial, and I just want to bring a, a very simple uh, word into it, which I hope is a challenge and an encouragement. And um, because I've uh, recently worked for a, a theological college, I need, need to begin with a Bible quiz, so uh, I'm just going to ask you a question for which no cheating, okay? Um, in the book of Ezekiel, no cheating, okay? Um, and don't, don't shout out either. In the book of Ezekiel, there is the famous vision of the valley of the dry bones. Okay, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person or people next to you and see if you can answer without cheating. I've said that three times now, and you might want to... <laughs> You might want to ask yourself why that is. Um, what, what vision or instruction comes next after the Valley of the Dry Bones? Now, you can pass, but I'm just interested. So why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, what comes after the Valley of the Dry Bones? Just, just share it, see what you've got.
Okay, okay, that's enough. That's a that's quite loud. Does that mean that everybody knew what it was? <laughs> what what is it? Sorry? <laughs> this either okay, 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 right. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> See that's why I said no cheating. It's this kind of attitude that's the problem. Um, so <laughs> the answer is um, the two sticks. Oh, the two sticks. Uh, I'll read you about the two sticks in a minute. So, um, so if you said that, you were right. I don't know what everyone else was saying. Um, there, there's some strange gestures going on around the room, but it doesn't matter. Um, so before Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel prophesies to the mountains, actually speak to the mountains and speak to the valleys. And as part of that, speak to the cities. Actually address the cities. After that, a prophecy against idols. After that, the Valley of, of Bones. And it was so um, profound. I was reading it the other day. It's not just bones, like dry bones. Of course, they're dry bones because that's how the, the song goes and everything. But, but <laughs> the, the bones weren't just, they weren't just dead bones. They weren't just dying bones or dead bones. They were dead and dry bones, very dry bones. And then after that, um, Ezekiel's told, just read some highlights from Ezekiel 37. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it belonging to Joseph, that is to Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. The two halves of God's broken people. The two sides of the story. Verse 17 Join them together in one stick so that they will become one in your hand. And when people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean like this? Say to them, what do you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. So if our prayer is for the revitalization of the church, for God to breathe life into the bones which are dead and also dry, then what comes with that prayer and with that prophecy is that God will take things which were separate and will join them together. God will take worlds of discourse, ways of thinking, word clouds and cultures that were separate and bring them together and it's an act of prophecy and an act of hope and an act of life-giving power to be the kind of people who hold those things together. And people will say, what are you doing holding those two things together? Estates and church planting. And you'll say, this is what God is doing. God is bringing planting and life and energy and aspiration together with a state's ministry. And that is part of the work that God is doing. And that's why this conference is so important. Uh, so I have a picture. There we go. And, um, and so the only other thing I wanted to do was just maybe mention three things, if we have the second one. Um, 
maybe mention three kinds of connection that we could then make as we, as we hold the two together. The first I'm going to call presence and strategy. Presence and strategy. A state ministry is about presence. Okay, that is known, right? That is known. Not, um, we I think increasingly realize, uh, not the presence of incarnational ministry where I am Jesus and I take my presence to this place that needs saving. Um, the um, the book launch, you know, addresses this issue. Other people have addressed the issue of the, the rhetoric, the language we're using when we do this. The incarnation, um, just to touch on the theological point for a moment, does not show that the world is a terrible destination that God will only go to in extremis. The incarnation reveals that the world is capax dei, capable of bearing God. Okay. The incarnation reveals that the world, creation, is capax dei, capable of bearing God. Our communities are capable of bearing God. They have an inherent beauty. They are ready for Christ. And in them, Christ can become embodied in a new and unique way. And so we become a little bit less like Jesus going on a heroic journey and a little bit more like Elizabeth saying to the pregnant teenager, wow, Christ can become real in you. And I got to see it. So uh, there is a presence ministry and we need uh, that presence and to see how presence emerges. But we also need presence and strategy and we hold the two together. Strategy, where we don't just simply wait and sit back and see what emerges in case something might emerge, but there is strategy, there is planning, and dare I say it, a growth mentality. Even if that means the plans that we have in our heads have to be written and rewritten on a regular basis, we hold the two together. I'm going to say we hold together the margins and the center, and we hold them together. And we want to go beyond the conversation where the margins say to the centre, you don't recognise what we're doing, you're not funding it properly. And the centre replies, well, we would fund you more if you hit our targets. <laughs> we want a, a richer conversation between the centre and the margins, and we hold on to them both, and we don't let go. And we bring them together. And last of all, uh, perseverance and new structures. Perseverance has always been crucial, but we can't just persevere endlessly and just, as it were, baptize failure. We need from people in this room to be learning what are the new models and what are the new structures and the new wineskins that are emerging and how might we multiply them. Uh, and we need to pay attention to the structures that support the, those uh, wineskins, the training, the funding, the networking. And the organizers of this conference are doing a bold thing, but we cannot let it stop here. Um, eight years ago, I got invited to a church planting conference at the Archbishop of York's Palace. I thought, this is incredible. I'm going to an Archbishop of York's Palace, never done that before. And it's about church planting. Fantastic. Um, I chatted to the organizer of the conference at the end of the day. I said, this has been so significant, a church planting conference here at the Bishop's Palace. And he said, yeah, well, if there's anything else we can do, you just let me know. And my heart sank. I thought, 
Oh, that was it. <laughs> if there's anything else you can do. What do you mean if there's anything else we can do? We, we've just talked about the need to structurally rewire the entire Church of England. And you're saying, if there's anything else I can do, <laughs> yeah, don't just have a conference. <laughs> so, so this has to be about persevering and pursuing new structures and new wineskins and, uh, and learning as we go. Um, I'm going to say, um, hand over to Lynn in a, in a moment. Um, uh, uh, but I just want to say that there are significant signs of hope that we are seeing. Um, new forms of leadership training. And I want to massively thank Emmanuel for pioneering an action learning ordination pathway. An ordination pathway which is not about writing certain essays for certain academics to see and to, and to hit a certain kind of uh, image or model of what a priest should be. I want to um, thank uh, Michael and uh, Nick McKee, uh, um, who's a, a key part of Emmanuel and now going to be heading up ministry training for the Church of England, which is really cool, um, for, and, and others for pioneering a new form that, that could actually help us find the kind of structure that we're looking for. Um, if we had longer, we'd talk about initiatives about lay church planting, but I'm sure people will be talking about that. Planting in schools, new initiatives to plant uh, 450 churches in schools uh, nationwide in the next three to five years. Um, how many of those could be in estates? Uh, in estates that uh, we are connected with. Um, so uh, I see real signs of hope, but let me just encourage us to hold the two things together. Don't let go of God's passion that he has given you to keep it real and connected and to be contextual to the place where you are or the people uh, that you represent. But don't let go of the challenge to be strategic and deliberate and even at times a little bit ruthless about what it is you want and what it is you would love to see. Uh, and with those things in mind, let us see what God does with us in the next 24 hours and in the coming years as well. Thank you. Great. So um, some really interesting, challenging thoughts, um, some inspirational stuff as well from, from Mark. Um, I'd like to start just thinking, um, reflecting a bit about what he said about um, incarnational mission and um, that our communities are capax dei, um, so capable of hosting or receiving the presence um, of God, rather than us as Christians bringing God's presence with us, and, and I think that's been a really useful thing um, to a lot of people, especially doing this kind of ministry, um, who are just thinking, um, uh, wherever we go, what, what we find is that we see examples of God is at work here in this person's life, and uh, Mark used the example of Elizabeth talking to Mary and just going, wow, I see the presence of Christ mm -hmm. in you, with, with you, and and, and for her, you know, John leapt in her womb. And there's so many experiences I could think of over the years where I've, I've just seen the presence of Jesus with people. Um, and I just thought that was a, a beautiful um, way to look at our estates that we work in, the places that, we're, that, that God's called us to minister, that, um, that, that we look for the, those signs of, of God's miracles, of, of, um, of, the, of the presence of God there. And and identify them and then 
and then we go as learners in that way and mm. res and recipients as much as people who are coming to give. Yeah, it's definitely, for me, that's been probably one of the biggest shifts for me. When I think back to um, different mission things that we did when I was a teenager in the 90s, you know, where... Um, we would be going into the centre of Liverpool and kind of we would be, you know, as a teenager, I was part of a group and we'd do dances or sing songs about Jesus, whatever. Great proclaiming the kingdom of God, but um, very much, I think, certainly I was going in with a sense of, right, it's our job to bring Jesus into Liverpool. <laughs> do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, but this shift in thinking around realising, oh, hang on a minute, God's already there and doing some stuff. And I think it's really challenged us to grow in different skills, hasn't it? And um, that it's no longer kind of, I'm coming to just deliver my message to yeah. you and you'll be changed by this miraculously, but rather maybe there's something that God wants to teach me through you. And you might not even be a Christian, you know, or you might not, you might think very differently to me, but but there'll be some way of just noting. And uh, and there's a skill in that, isn't there? There is definitely a gifting in being able to to look and notice and see what are you doing here, God? And I think that demands of us a, a sense of knowing God better, you know, yeah. being in the scriptures more, um, just noticing what kind of things does God do, what kind of things does God say through scripture and where do we notice some similarities in our context, in our culture, in the lives of the people around us. Um, and so, yeah, then then we do begin to notice it, don't mm. we? And it takes courage to spot it because it it's not like kind of all singing all dancing noisy you know flags waving god going i'm here <laughs> sometimes it it is but and you love waving flags as well don't you, <laughs> i did in the 90s yeah yeah, yeah. well it's more an 80s some, thing that wasn't some it? things we're glad we've <laughs> left behind now yeah andre do you want to cut in there yeah i was going to say that I, I agree with all that and just a real sense that you know for those of us like i'm i personally am not doing this work at the moment but i have done for the majority of the last 10 years and passionate about it but what really came through in the comp in the conference um is that those of us who are doing it have done it there's a real joy there like this isn't this isn't like a burden like you, you you explain this kind of work to people you know outside the church but even inside the church and they think oh it's a real sacrifice you go in and you having this courage and it's going to cost you so much but actually in the room there's just a real sense of joy that like you say, Claire, you get to meet people and they may be Christians or non-Christians, but we learn something and you discover what God is doing. And it's it, it just a real sense of fun there and joy. And it always, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this, but it kind of reminded me of the um, early church in Acts. Now, the reason I'm hesitant is because whenever someone's doing something <laughs> new and exciting, they say, oh, we're like the church in Acts, man. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> in the sense of, you know, you had this early church or the early church who, you know, were potentially facing persecution from at least the Jews and the Jewish um, uh, religion and wider people like the Romans. And there were a lot of reasons why not to do this. You know, they would have, a lot of them who've become converts would have been disowned by their family. There was a lot of problems, but they weren't seeing all the challenges. They were seeing the joys. They were like, look at what God's up to. 3,000 baptized at the day of Pentecost. And, you know, what could this mean if we take this message out and even to our enemies, like the Sumerians and all this? And you're just like, 
yeah, they, there was just a real joy there, and they focused on that, and and you can see that. And this talk, I think, highlighted it. This idea of going and being present and seeing what God's up to, and you know, actually, like the early church, in a <laughs> in a very real way of not just seeing the problems or the you know stereotypes that are um, given to these uh, areas, but actually just seeing the joys that can come from it. And it's yeah, it's a beautiful thing, really. One of the key um, pictures that Mark gave us was that idea of uh, two sticks being held together. And he used a, a few different um, kind of ideas around that. He talked about uh, the, the, the persevering with having the need for new structures. So, um, you know, we want to we keep persevering in these places, but how do, we, how do we also bring in the new wineskins to, um, to keep the, you know, to, to house the new wine of what God's doing? He talked about the margins and the centre and how do they speak to each other well and bless each other. And then the one that I found the most interesting was this idea of uh, presence and strategy. And um, I think often you, you don't hold those things together and um, that's a, a tension. Um, and, and you could say, well, we're just being there, we're just being with. But what I guess the, the, the thing he was trying to challenge us with was, well, where's this going and what do you want to see and uh, what could be? And, uh, and I, know, I know what he's saying. I, I, I always resist this a bit because I do think that the way that, we, that it's about being with people and seeing what God's doing there. And I, I tend to resist three-year strategies and plans. But um, there is something that, that, that needs to push us out and to go, we do want to see, you know, in our estate, I want to see every household, all the 3,000, 3,500 households in our estate. I want to see people in every house come to know Jesus. And so it's not, it's not just enough for me to just be around, walking around, seeing what's happening. But I, I do want to think more widely in that way. So I, I welcome that challenge, even if I resist it at the same time. Andre, did you want to? Yeah, and I guess, and kind of following on from that, and speaking in my own personal walk with God, whenever... I feel like there's a plan or a strategy. I then start to put my faith in the plan rather than the plan maker. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, I start to put my my faith in the gift rather than the gift giver. So how do you how do you hold on to this wider strategy? Like you say, Chris, I want to see everyone on the estate at least hear about how do you how do you do that, but also keep your eyes on the person who gave us the plan. Yeah. And I think that's always a challenge of strategy in any walk of life or any any project. How how do you really really do that yeah and and that you know there's great ideas we want to see all these hundreds of churches planted in the next three to five years and and that would be great but like you're saying the reality is the key thing is that we keep in jesus at the center of it why do we want to see hundreds of churches planted because we want people to get to know jesus for the first time and so what kind of churches are they going to be in order that we can see more of God's kingdom come in 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 the places that God's called us to to, to be in. Yeah, and I think as well that well, like one of the gifts of strategy is that it draws it can draw more people in if we strategize well, um, and mean that there's a strategy can be a way of ensuring that we're all on the same page that we're pulling in the same direction, building the same sort of culture or gathering that is focused around Jesus and also missional in its posture um and so that can be really good and really humbling in that um i guess the 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 
the temptation sometimes with just being in a place is that I can do that on my own and build things that center around me. And then what happens when I'm no longer going to be in that place? Well, are those things going to stop? And so strategy and planning can can make something robust beyond just one person and can draw others in. Can it casts a vision and and also um, purpose and form and shape and rhythms and routines and that can all be really good can't it um but as you say the 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 rhythms and the routine and the structures ought to serve the vision of gathering people around Jesus in variety of ways as opposed to um the people serving the vision and the strategy do you know what I mean like oh we're going to put on this event come and support the event well actually we want to come and worship Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and if that's what you want to come, this might be an event that you, you can do that. Yeah. Um, but just even the way that we use our language can trip us up, I think, at times, you know, around what our focus is and what it is that we think that we're building and where the emphasis is on what we're doing, maybe. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you're right. And that's hard in any context, you know, a quote-unquote stereotypical parish church. That is always a temptation. It's easier to do what we did last week or last month because I can control that. And mm-hmm. it's harder to say, what is God doing afresh? And it's, yeah, it's a challenge. And I do think another another thing we do need to think about when you think about strategy, I think in our culture, our Western 21st century culture, strategy is often linked to outcomes, which mm-hmm. isn't a bad thing. Um, but if you, want, um, if you want finances, if you want grants for that, then it's very much right. What are you going to do in the first six months? What are you going to do in the next year? And as we've been discussing, well, we kind of just want to go and listen to people and have cups of coffee for the first 18 months and (laughs) just think about how we move by compassion. And after that, we can't guarantee there's going to be a church that looks like this in the center. It might look totally different to what we asking for money for. And I do think that is, that is a challenge. How do you ask, the church and wider um, funding bodies and you just fund us and we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what's going to look like and we can't guarantee a lot of numbers and is that okay and I and that is a challenge when you're thinking about strategy in cultural terms and applying it to ministry on estates yeah and I think something we've talked about a lot over the years is around um, what then do we do how do we equip people to step out in these ways um, without it always being dependent on money. Um, so how do we do that kind of contextual work without the pressure that comes with, we're going to give you this, but we need to see these income, uh, these outcomes. And, and I think that there's, there's a whole creative work that needs to be done over the next few years to go. Let's look at the, the widest range of ways that we can do pioneering and contextual listening and seeing what God is forming. Um, whether it's teaching people about how we rely on God more for our income and finance, whether it's thinking about bivocational stuff, um, whether it's thinking about um, all sorts of different kind of creative ideas. We need to release that creativity more and more, that kind of entrepreneurial type thinking. To think we're so passionate about this place. We so want to see the kingdom of God come that what, whether there's money or not, we'll go for it. And, um, and so... How do, we, how do we equip people who have got that heart for a place or a people 
um, to be able to do that, whether there's whether there's money or not. Sometimes there will be, and sometimes there won't be. Mm, yeah, and that's something that that I'm figuring out. I think at the moment, so. Um, within the last 12 months or so I've become a self-supporting minister so trained as an ordained pioneer minister um but now working in a theology college you know and four days a week so now I've got this three-day weekend of what do I do with my time and and it's been really interesting actually for me to notice the shift of pressure actually you know for many the um finances that come with a stipend or or you know a post are really releasing and that's fantastic for me I found it a really interesting um kind of pressure almost of I've got I've got five years and what am I going to show for this and and actually I found that to be quite an unhelpful thing um I wrestled with that quite a lot and then now as somebody who's bivocational and you know paid for a proportion of my time it's really interesting to notice how my the, the way that I pray for the place that I live in is different and mm. um, because actually we've bought a house there I'm looking like we could be here long term there is this no longer this sense of oh I'm probably here for three years and then moving on and that's a real difference in the way that we engage locally I think then um definitely you know as you're saying Chris around well, these these are my community. These are my people now. For as long as I'm here, um, God, what do you want us to do? How do we serve here? And um, that's that's been a really good learning curve for me, for certainly. Mm. Great, good chats. Um, we appreciate Mark's input, and um, yeah, yeah, thanks for the contributions. Yeah, you too. it's good. <laughs> <laughs>